Welcome to the I Love Seville Show, guys. Good Wednesday afternoon. My name is Jerry Miller, and thank you kindly for joining us. Today's program presented by Castle Hill and the 231 Festival on June 10th. Perfect opportunity for family, children, friends to gather in Keswick at Castle Hill, June 10th. Cider, beer, and wine tastings, food trucks, live music, and crafts and art, um, arts and crafts for kids. June 10th, Castle Hill, 231 Festival. Today's show is loaded, and it's loaded for a couple of reasons. Monday, we were off for Memorial Day, um, so the news started stockpiling because we, didn't, we missed a couple of shows. Today's program, you got daily progress going from a daily newspaper to three days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. You got Amy Lawfer and Kellen Squire literally have said, forget the respect we have shown each other throughout this entire race. It's time to, to sling mud, and it's time to attack people's character, and it's time for low blows. Lawfer sends out a mailer about Kellen Squire and whether he is pro-choice or pro-life, and it is undoubtedly going viral right now. We'll talk about it on today's show. We'll also give you some nitty-gritty about Wendell Wood. Wendell Wood, ladies and gentlemen, may be the most astute businessman in Central Virginia, and I'm only slightly exaggerating there. Wendell Wood sells a huge plot of land to Albemarle because the county and its leadership are nervous that St. Louis may steal Rivanna Station and the spies and, and, and military business that we have in Central Virginia. So this report comes to the Board of Supervisors of the Economic Impact from the Weldon Cooper Center of the Defense Sector in Central Virginia. Nitty-gritty, $1.2 billion impact for the defense sector in Central Virginia. Also part of the report, the person delivering the report says in passing, St. Louis has got 100 free acres for Rivanna Station, and they're actively trying to get the defense sector to go there. What does Admiral County do? They give Wendell Wood $58 million immediately. We'll talk about that on today's program. Wendell paid $5 million for this land. And, and, and listen to this. The $5 million he paid in 1991, good reporting from Hall Spencer of the Daily Progress on this. Halls, you're doing a hell of a job. The $5 million that he paid in 1991 for a 904-acre farm, Judah. You ready for this? Wendell Wood. United Land Company, the largest landowner in Almaro County, the largest landowner in Central Virginia. Wendell Wood, his house right next to Carter's Mountain. When you look at Carter's Mountain and you see those antennas that are flashing to keep planes from crashing into them, look at the mountain right next to Carter's and you see Wendell and his house. On clear days, you can see it. I've been up there. It's gorgeous. 1991, $5 million for 904 acres. So Judah, this was 23, 9, 32 years ago, Wendell buys a 904-acre farm for $5 bucks. Last week, Wendell and the supervisors agree in principle for Albemarle County to pay Wendell $58 to acquire 462 of the acres. So Judah, you ready for this? 32 years ago, Wendell Wood paid $5 million for 901 acres in northern Almar. Last week, he agrees in principle to sell 462 acres, not even the full farm, not even the full plot, to Almar for $58 million. 
This guy went from $5 million to $58 million, and he sold half the land. That dude's smart. That dude knows what's up. We'll talk about that today. We'll talk about Dave Norris throwing a music festival to win a delegate race, and a pedal pub franchise is coming to Richmond. I'm, I, I, I'm here to say this. Someone's going to bring a pedal pub business to Charlottesville. And the person who brings the pedal pub business to Charlottesville is going to crush it. The pedal pub can be food tours, brewery tours, cocktail tours, restaurant tours, exercise tours. I'll let you know what these two guys, entrepreneurs, best friends since grade school, are doing in the capital of the Commonwealth. And I cannot wait to see this happen in Charlottesville. We'll go to a two-shot. We'll welcome Judah Wickhauer to the program. Jack of all wits, J-Dubs, as he's known up and down the East Coast, Judah B. Wickhauer, looking uh, full of energy this particular Wednesday afternoon. My friend, how are you? Not bad. You following the abortion, pro-choice, pro-life, Amy Lawfer, Callan Squire, Bruhaha? Yeah, I've read, uh, I've read into it a little bit. Not, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm uh, fully versed, but I think I understand what the, uh, uh, what the confusion is. Squire, years ago, writes a blog post from first-hand perspective of his time as an emergency room nurse. That perspective is on abortion, pro-choice, pro-life. Yeah. Squire, in this post, makes reference to being against abortion. Mm-hmm. Lawfer takes this post, blurs out most of it, <laughs> takes a screenshot of the post Squire did years ago, screenshots it, puts it on a mailer that she pays for, sends that mailer to a lot of Central Virginia households. Central Virginia households get this mailer and they see a paragraph about Squire talking about abortion and it has no context. All the other stuff is blurred out. Yeah. Lawfer's getting serious heat. She plays this game. Basically, this is what Amy Lawfer's doing. When she sent out that mailer, she knew that A, that was mudslinging, She knew that B, that was playing below the belt. And C, she knew that this was the first tactic in this race that was nasty. It's a nasty tactic. And she probably also knew what he really meant. So she may have been taking his words out of context. There's not a doubt in my mind that Amy Lawfer knew what he meant. There's not a doubt in my mind. But Lawfer played the scales of justice game. The crap that I get for this direct mail piece is going to be tangible and palpable. But the average voter is not that sophisticated, and they trust what they read in the mail, especially come voting season. So her scales of justice game, she did the ROI. What's the return on investment on this? And in her mind, her camp's mind, the ROI was there to make this move. Mm -hmm. I want to unpack this. First off, was Kellen Squire moronic and not deleting this blog post. When you're running for a statewide seat like they're doing, should you not vet everything that you posted online? Because anything you say or you do, especially if it lives on the internet, is fair game and can be used against you. Is that That fair or you say not fair? Uh, I say both. It is fair, but... 
then he might have to be ask he might have to be answering questions about uh, about whether he was trying to hide something that he had done because as a lot of us probably know very little is uh, is forever lost from the internet if you delete it so uh, he may have deleted uh, deleted the blog post but if uh, if Laufer really really wanted to dig, she probably could have gone on the Wayback Machine and found that post anyways. If she already knew about it, Laufer literally is saying you can't trust Kellen Squire. She's telling the media you cannot trust this guy because of his pro-life comments. Yeah, this race in the House of Delegates, the 55th district, is an important one because abortion is an important topic. Who do you think is going to win? Are voters going to say Lawfer, what she did was a low blow, and we're going to vote for Squire? Are voters truly unsophisticated enough that they're just going to take this mailer at first read and take it as the spoken word of God? Some will. We know that. This is going viral on social media right now in a nasty race. And the intriguing aspect, these are both Democrats. <laughs> Is this the only topic that they're uh, that they're arguing about? I mean, is I there, mean, reproductive is there... rights. This this was the primary topic. I mean, yeah, I get that it's important, but I just wondered if either of them had anything important to say other than abortion, good, abortion, bad. <laughs> Most both of these candidates have run for uh, multiple offices in the past. Squire was a 2017 Democratic candidate for District 58 of the Virginia House of Delegates. Um, Amy's run for city council where she lost to Heather Hill and Nakia Walker. Amy at one time was a school board member. She moved into this district to run for this race. Legitimately moved into the district to run for the race. If you're Squire, and I'm Kellen, if I'm on Kellen Squire's team... I would utilize this tactic against Amy Lawfer by taking the absolute high road. And if you notice today, Squire released a blog post on Medium talking about this. Hmm. So what his strategy and his team are trying to do, they're trying to allow this nastiness from Lawfer to make him into a sympathetic, sentimental candidate that we can empathize with. How sentimental. If they do this the right way, they can leverage Lawfer's mudslinging to make, law, to make Squire, from an optics standpoint, feel like he's being attacked. He's being bullied. Yeah. He's, in, he's in the playground, and the bully comes off comes on the playground and, and, and tries to bully Kellen and attack him and hit him and rough him up. That's literally what Lawfer's doing. The intriguing aspect of this, I thought Lawfer was in the lead. Hmm. I thought Lawfer, from a fundraising standpoint, from an energy and a momentum standpoint, was in the lead. I <laughs> think this strategy, this mudslinging, is going to backfire on her, though. June 20th, we're going to know. Mm-hmm. It's like the guy that uh, it's like the guy that turns his head riding the bike to flip off the guy that he's passing, and uh, he doesn't see the uh, the metal pole coming up because he's too busy, uh, you know, 
getting one over on the other guy. No, these, um, these, these they are not running um, against Brown and Norris, um, Bill McChesney. That's a different race. Um, Callum Squire, Amy Lawfer running in a different race than the um, Bellamy Brown, Dave Norris, Katrina Coulson dogfight. And we'll talk about that on today's program. If you could, put the lower thirds on screen so folks know what we're talking about. Um, the wider message of his first blog post, Sarah Hill Buchensky, was he wanted to... He wanted to take the pro-life away from the Republicans. Right. You want to add some background to that? That's what she's asking. I don't understand the full background of it, but it sounded to me from what I read like he was saying that uh, he felt the the right's use of pro-life was uh, disingenuous, and he wanted the left to take the, the term over. Because in his mind, uh, he's a nurse, uh, he believes that, um, that denying access to abortion is not pro-life because aside from, aside from the, the main argument that you're, you're killing a fetus, there are the arguments that you know, sometimes there are women's lives in danger, sometimes there are... Uh, with, with a medical, dangerous pregnancy. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. there are medical uh, medical problems that uh, that require an abortion, and to just outright say no woman can have an abortion is not pro life because you're not taking you're not taking every life into consideration. Yeah, and that was ulti- good explanation. And ultimately, I think most of us can agree that the mother's life is more important than than a an unborn child's life. I thousand percent. I. Does anyone disagree with that? I don't know, but... Uh, I a thousand percent agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I think most of us can agree that. And so I, you know, I don't really have a problem with what he's saying and trying to take over this term. <sighs> I, I, but, I'll, go but, ahead. Go ahead. I'll I had be, a problem that Kellen didn't... Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. But obviously it... Uh, it backfired on him. Yeah, it's continuing to backfire. Yeah. I don't know if it backfired back then, but it was... Uh, you know, it was an interesting idea that apparently didn't go anywhere, and now it's coming back to bite him in the tuchus. Right. You think he should have deleted the post before he ran, especially knowing that this race was going to be so pro-choice, pro-life? I mean, that's the number one topic here. That's the number one voting platform for the delegate, pro-choice, pro-life. If I were him, I would have... Uh, you would have deleted it? No, you would, I would have edited it. You I and I, You and I... I would, have would not a, have made that mistake. I would have done a better job. I would have edited the post so that, <clears throat> so that it did a better job of explaining his position rather than just leaving it as is and rather than deleting it. I think if you delete it, it looks like you're hiding something. Because you're saying nothing is ever deleted from the Internet. Yeah. Because you're some, saying Lawford then would have exposed him because he deleted the post using the Wayback Machine. Would have, yeah, it would have been... Exactly what you're doing now with the addition of, oh, and he, and he tried to hide it. Yeah. Great call. There you go. Do you think Lawford's been sitting on this for a while? Hell of a coincidence. It comes out three weeks before the primary. Right. Uh, yeah. I think, I think she's been sitting on this for a while. Definitely. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. No Whoever loses this race, the advice you give them, don't run anymore. You have not won anything. It's time to retire. 
Find a career. <laughs> Amy Lawfer lost to Nakia Walker. That puts things in perspective. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily something to be uh, uh, ashamed of. Uh, Nik- I, that's Nikaya, fair. Nakia, she was a force. A lot of had a lot of back uh, tailwinds, and uh, that was a particular time and place in the history of Charlottesville where I think uh, Nakia was probably the favorite on the ballot. Probably nigh unbeatable. I very well said. Two excellent takes there from Judah in the first twenty minutes of the program. I agree with what you said. I, I don't think that Amy Lawfer realized the true force that Nakia Walker was because right. perhaps she was not considering time and place right after August twelfth, two thousand seventeen, and how this community was searching for an identity, and it appeared at the time that Nakia was able to lead us on that hunt for the new identity that we wanted. Now, in retrospect, it proved to be one of the most damaging times in Charlottesville history. Her term in City Hall as a two-term, as, as a back-to-back mayor. Yeah. Okay, it was, it was a terrible term. But at the beginning of the term, she seemed to be the Paul Revere with the lantern on horseback. Yeah, I'm, she, could have, uh, she could have united Charlottesville and uh, led us into a, uh, a golden new age of, uh, I don't know, I'm joking. <laughs> but, but she didn't. No, she didn't. And Mayor Stook may be the one doing that. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, completely disingenuous of Amy. Sarah Hill Buczynski, I agree with you yet again. SHB and I agree 99% of the time. There, there's not a doubt in my mind Amy Lawford was disingenuous. There's not a doubt in my mind that Kellen Squire made a political mistake. Not a doubt in my mind he made a political mistake with this blog post. Kellen, you screwed up, dog. You screwed up. And now a bunch of people in Central Virginia and a bunch of people that are going to vote on June 20th are going to look at this flyer and take it for the spoken word. That's on you, Kellen. Now what you have to do, Kellen Squire and your team, is spin this somehow where you're the martyr. You're the sympathetic character that everyone empathizes with. And you have an opportunity to spin this right now, Kellen. But if you don't have a good spin team or a good PR team or a good branding team that knows how to do this, you're going to F it up. And you're going to lose this race. And Amy Lawfer, something for you. It was already shady you moving in to run in the race. This tactic is undoubtedly disingenuous. Is this what we can expect from you if you win? Because this doesn't seem like the type of representation I want. Politics as usual. Maybe. Do I just chalk it up to that? Three weeks before a race, two adults are, are, are acting like children. Literally. Literally. Elliot Harding, hello. Johnny Ornalis, hello. Elliot, I'm curious of your thoughts on this. Johnny, thank you for sharing. The Daily Progress newsroom watching the show. At least someone is. Is it time for the next topic? Is that the Daily Progress, the next one? I think it should be. Put the headline on screen. Daily Progress is cutting its print edition to three days a week, Judah. Yeah. Three days a week.
is the Daily Progress about to disappear? I used to work for this newspaper. The first job I ever had out of college was at the Daily Progress. I started as a part-time stringer in 2002, making $30 a story. I finished as one of the youngest editors in the history of the newspaper. The Daily Progress has seen its circulation numbers plummet. 11,107 daily and 11,621 on Sunday, the print circulation. I'll give it to you again. The print circulation of the Daily Progress, the paper of record for a 300,000-person market, they are running 11,107 daily print copies Monday through Saturday and 11,621 print copies on Sunday. They are straight up telling us they're only going to print on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And they're trying to romanticize or seduce us by saying the three-day-a-week print product that comes out is going to be like your Sunday product, thicker, richer, and more robust in content. I'm not buying that. I'm going to ask you this question. If the progress cuts the paper to three days a week, what's going to keep it from cutting it to no days a week? Eventually, that's what's going to happen. We all know that. We eventually know newspapers are going to go strictly digital and not a print product, the local ones. They're hemorrhaging. If the progress literally becomes an online-only outlet with a subscription fee that is more expensive than the Wall Street Journal, for articles that you may get two to three a day, is this publication about to disappear? They highlight in the announcement the comics and the crossword puzzles as a reason for you to be excited for the print edition coming to your house. The comics and the crossword puzzles. What is this, 1995? I love the crossword puzzles, but uh, didn't they come out with those every day anyways? Don't they have crossword puzzles on your phone? There's something about, uh, there's something about doing them in pen or pencil. Don't they have comics on your phone? They literally wrote to their subscribers and to the readers, you're going to be so excited to get this three-day-a-week print edition because it's going to be great content like comics and crossword puzzles. Maybe they should hire an advertiser. Here's the question. If the newspaper cuts to three days a week, which it is, that's a sign that eventually it's going to eviscerate print altogether. So it's strictly going to be a digital outlet. And a digital outlet with a subscription rate that's more expensive than the Wall Street Journal. Who's going to read this? We have viewers and listeners literally tell us on the show that we're their source of news because there's not a chance in hell they're paying for it. We have an economy that clearly is on the brink of recession, if not already in one. And here we have an outlet that's tied to ad revenue. We know that gets diminished come recessionary times. We know people paying expensive monthly subscriptions gets diminished come recessionary times. What is 
give me a legitimate argument that this brand and platform will be here this time next year. I seriously, give me a legitimate argument. And this, the sucky part about this is, I want the progress to be the best version of itself possible. I want to read 10 news articles a day from the progress. I want it to be the number one player in news in central Virginia because when the progress is creating good, original, local content, this show is better because we got stuff to talk about. Yeah. We want the news to do well because it gives us something to talk about. Anywhere you want to go on this topic. Well, if the... uh if the price for the digital version is propping up the uh, the printing of the news of the paper version, could it be that uh, slimming it down a few days could bring down the price on the digital version? Or conversely, if the paper dies and they stop printing it all together, could that then free up uh, free up capital uh, to to make the to make the digital version cheaper because they're no longer having to uh, having to subsidize uh, the actual printed paper. Wouldn't you lose subscribers if the print product goes away? So you're going to drop revenue there. Probably. They're basically playing the scales of justice game again. We'll get to comments here in a matter of moments, guys. John Blair, I'm going to your comment first. This is what Lee Enterprises corporate is doing. And, and, and it's not just the daily progress that they're cutting here. Lee Enterprises is cutting the print circulation of six local newspapers in Virginia. Cardinal News, the website is cardinalnews.org. I read this website daily. They have a fantastic analysis on this by Matt Boosie. And he says six local newspapers in Virginia, including three in Southwest and Southside, will reduce their print publication frequency to just three days a week. Lee Enterprises is doing this to the Bristol Herald Courier, the Daily Progress, the Culpeper Star Exponent, the Danville Register and Bee, and the Martinsville Bulletin. They're also doing it to the Waynesboro News Virginian. They're doing it to the small towns that have no other news sources. They're eviscerating local news in the local communities that need it the most. Lee Enterprises is the damn devil when it comes to news. Lee Enterprises is like the Osama bin Laden of news. Wow. I mean, isn't that business, though? I mean, we talk a lot about... But is it business if you take your content next to nothing and your readers and your subscribers and your payers decide they want nothing to do with you? I mean, they Isn't might, the whole point of reading the might, news? They might argue that less and less people are paying for the product. They might argue that these are places where very little of note happens on a regular basis, and you don't need a newspaper to know when something big happens. And they might say that, look, we have to make money I, I think John Blair is 100% right with this comment that he was just said. I literally was going to say this, John, but you beat me to it, so you get the props and the credit for this. I literally think that's what's going to happen, John. I'm going to get to use it in a matter of a moment, John. Bill McChesney says the cost of an obituary in the daily progress is astronomical, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't even run them. And Bill, you're exactly right. They are doing away with the delivery drivers, and the progress three days a week is going to be delivered to homes through the United States Postal Service. Utilizing the United States Postal Service to deliver anything is not a good idea. 
If the United States Postal Service is now delivering your daily progress to your house, and it's a Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday newspaper, expect to get your Tuesday edition on Thursday, your Thursday edition on Saturday, and your Sunday edition on Tuesday. You're certainly not going to get it in the morning to read with your cup of coffee over breakfast. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah. The, your postman isn't going to show up. At 6 a.m. for you to get it over breakfast like your neighborhood boy on a bicycle. Right. So your newspapers now come in no longer at breakfast. Who likes reading the newspaper over breakfast or on the think tank, the porcelain tank? I do. It wouldn't be there, right? John Blair says this. I think he's exactly right. JM, my guess is that the Daily Progress and the other Lee Enterprises papers will combine into the Richmond Times-Dispatch. There will be a Charlottesville Bureau of one or two reporters. The Richmond Times-Dispatch will turn into a statewide paper with bureaus throughout the state. The old former papers in Seville, Danville, Brits- Bristol, etc. There won't be a Daily Progress in three years. It will be the RTD with a couple of Seville stories per week from the Charlottesville Bureau. I 1,000% think that's what's going to happen. I 1,000% think that's what's going to happen. And the Charlottesville Bureau will have like two writers and an advertising rep. And the advertising rep will be responsible for uh, getting newspaper sales and business, or excuse me, ad revenue for Central Virginia. And the two writers will be responsible for one story a day in Central Virginia. They will not rent an office. They will work from home to cut down on costs. The editors will be in Richmond, editing the, the stories filed from Charlottesville via email. I 100% think that's what's going to be the case. And the crappy part about that, when Charlottesville loses its local office, it's going to lose its local connection. You can't ask two 22-year-olds fresh from college to work remotely from their living room and truly cover this community with diligence with diligence, and with attention to detail. The 22-year-old that's fresh from college that takes this job at 10 or 12 bucks, 13 bucks an hour, needs to be in a newsroom where they're being trained by the Bob Gibsons of the world, the Jerry Ratcliffs of the world, the Jenny Rectors of the world, the McGregor McCances of the world, the Lou Hatters of the world, the Josh Barneys of the world. That's how I was raised in my newsroom, the first job out of the progress. I showed up as a 22-year-old to this newsroom, and I learned to act as a professional from Josh Barney, from McGregor McCants, from Bob Gibson. That's not going to be the case. The 22-year-olds taking this gig will be working from their coffee table. They're not going to have a Ratcliffe, a Hootie, or an Andrew Joyner, or a Jay Jenkins to give them some guidance on the first story they ever covered. You know the first story I ever covered at the Daily Progress was? 2022. August of 2022. You know what it was? First newspaper article I ever wrote. August of 2022? Or excuse me, August of 2002. I'm sorry. August of 2002. First one I ever wrote. You know what it was? Of course not. Covenant Girls Volleyball. My first assignment was to cover a Covenant girls volleyball match. Legitimately. That was my first assignment. 20 years old. Um, you're right, Bill McChesney. The building on Rio Road, they wiped the Daily Progress off the sign. I used to work in that building. 
In fact, their first building, I can still see the sign across the street from our Market Street studio. The progress used to be printed on Market Street. You can still see the sign on the facade over there. I'm looking at it right now. Local, local communities lose when local news is eviscerated by penny pinchers. Local communities lose when local communities have their local news eviscerated by penny pinchers. And I want to highlight this. When John's scenario becomes a reality and they have this Charlottesville Bureau for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, how, how are these two writers going to cover high school sports like we did at the Progress? They're not. No one in the Richmond Times-Dispatch is going to want to read about the Covenant Girls volleyball match. Yeah. But people in Central Virginia care about it. A lot of people don't realize this. You know what the most read um, aspects or sections of the newspaper are? What's the number one most read section of the newspaper? Anyone know? Sports. That's number two. What's number one? What can you get at a newspaper that you can't find anywhere else? Events. Nope. You can find events everywhere else. You can find sports coverage online. High school sports is going to be hard to find, but Bart Isley and scrimmage play do a great job. Obituaries. Obituaries, the number one section of the newspaper, because you can't really find obituaries elsewhere. That's the number one most read aspect of the newspaper is obituaries, especially local ones. Sports is second. Why are sports second? Why are sports second? Why is sports the second most read section in the newspaper? I don't know. High school sports. Who else covers high school sports? and local communities, besides the local sports department. We're lucky that Bart Isley and Scrimmage Play do. But a lot of people don't realize obituaries and sports are the top two sections. Innate lifestyles, it's not the crossword, it's not the comics, and it's rarely A1. It's rarely A1. It's not lifestyle, not music. Bob Yarbrough's a newspaper man. He offers some perspective. He's the king of Redfields. He says, years and years ago when corporations began gobbling up community newspapers, this was what was prophesied. When these papers are not locally owned, there's no incentive to be the voice of the community. It's so damn sad. I concur. I concur. I, you know what? I, I didn't tell this story. You know what yesterday was? Yesterday was the 15-year anniversary of my first company, VMV Brands, the one behind us, the advertising agency. Yesterday was the 15-year anniversary. Nice. 15 years ago yesterday, launched this business with my life savings and had no clients for six months, was pretty much dead broke, had to welcome my two buddies, Tom and Shannon, into the condo so I wouldn't default on the mortgage and was literally lifting sofa cushions to find change in the sofa so I can get a double cheeseburger from McDonald's that cost $1.06. And for, I'd say, maybe three to six months of my life, I only ate one double cheeseburger a day, ramen noodles a day, and that was my meal because there was no other money. My point is this. Here's my point. While for the last 15 years I've been self-employed and an entrepreneur, what I am at heart is a newsman, is a news guy. Mm -hmm. This business, the I Love Seville Network, what is it predicated on? News. News guy at heart. 
Kevin Higgins in Greenwood says this, Jerry Miller, those delivery time frames you just expressed are overly optimistic. What a terrible idea to use the United States Post Service to deliver timely news. Now everyone will cancel. Lee Enterprises reminds me of Blockbuster without any idea of how to pivot. Kevin Higgins, your best comment in a long time. Kevin Higgins, that was damn good. Direct message Kevin Higgins, if you could, after the show, and let's send him a sticker on us. Kevin, Judah's going to send you a DM from my account. You just earned an I Love Seville sticker on us. Jerry, he says, those delivery time frames you just expressed are overly optimistic. He's right. What a terrible idea to use the United States Post Service to deliver timely news. Is Lee Enterprises going to use carrier pigeons to deliver the news to people? Is Lee Enterprises going to use Western Union to send the newspaper to people? Is Lee Enterprises going to utilize the telephone to send news to people? I mean, utilizing the United States Postal Service to send timely news to people is the definition of idiocy. Yeah. The whole point of the product being delivered to people is on time. That's the whole point, right? Because if the news comes tomorrow, it's dated. Well done, Higgins. Albert Graves says, all the jobs lost at the Daily Progress. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Massive job loss. And that stinks, man. That stinks. Oh, John, good comment. Kevin Higgins, good comment. Go to the next topic. I think we were the first to talk about this on the show. Almaro County paid $58 million. I'm going I'm to set the stage here. Let me just set the stage here. All right. And I'm going to do this in very simplistic terms. This is what happened. Charlottesville Chamber of Commerce... Almaro County government, Charlottesville government, commission a study, $20,000 to $25,000 study. And that study was from the Weldon Cooper Center, UVA. And the whole point of the study was to determine the economic impact of spies, the defense sector in Central Virginia. Hmm. That study, which was presented to the Board of Supervisors, found that the defense sector contributed a yearly $1.2 billion economic impact in Central Virginia. Yep. In the process, Judah, of that presentation to the Board of Supervisors, the retired um, female presenter, a retired military woman, she said that there was a town in the Midwest, a city in the Midwest, that is offering 100 free acres to Ravana Station. Let's just call it a, a spy headquarters. And they said, spy headquarters, Rivana Station, north of town. Here's 100 free acres. Leave Almaro in Charlottesville. Kick them to the curb. They're nothing. We'll give you 100 free acres. Come to St. Louis. So this person who's presenting this study to the Board of Supervisors a couple of weeks ago, her name is Letty J. Bine. And Letty J. Bine works for the Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce, 
She's a retired Army Reserve officer, and she was hired as the first program coordinator of the Chamber's Defense Affairs Committee. Hall Spencer in the Daily Progress today reports that 20 days ago, she presented to the Board of Supervisors this Weldon Cooper study. And in 20, 20 days ago, she made a comment when she was presented to, to, to Price and to, to Galloway and Andrews and, 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 and McKeel and Malik and the, the entire crew. She said St. Louis is trying to get it. St. Louis is offering 100 acres for this spy station to come to the Midwest. That comment gets the Board of Supervisors in action. And the action was, what's the name of that damn project? Project Falcons. They gave this project a name, the Board of Supervisors. Donna, was that you? Was that you, Donna Price, the Project Falcons? Was that you? Project Falcons was a secretive effort to keep the Department of Defense happy with the Charlottesville-Albemarle area. So Project Falcons and these six supervisors, they go to Wendell Wood, the owner of United Land Company, and they say, Wendell, we need your land. We can't risk losing the $1.2 billion defense sector. We'll do whatever it takes... (laughs) We'll do whatever it takes to keep this defense sector here. You're Wendell Wood. A jurisdiction comes to you and says, we just found out that this spy station has a $1.2 billion economic impact on Central Virginia. We just found out that St. Louis is offering them 100 free acres. And we've got to do whatever it takes to keep these people here. Is that not exactly what Wendell Wood wants to hear? That's exactly what Wendell Wood wants to hear. Government coming to him with very little business acumen, telling him that they're fearful a spy station will leave for St. Louis because they're given 100 free acres to it. Wendell scratches his head and says, hmm, sounds like I got a little bit of leverage. Wendell, in 1991, bought this land, 904 acres, a farm, for $5 million. He then proceeds to take 462 acres of the 900-plus and sells it to Albemarle, in principle, to have an agreement that hasn't closed yet, for $58 million. $5 million for 900-plus acres, $58 million for 462 Who won that deal? Now, you can say, perhaps, that Albemarle had to do this. Because if this legitimately was a threat, St. Louis taking Rivanna Station, then that would have had a dramatic economic impact negative on Central Virginia. No doubt. But there's not a doubt in my mind In this particular deal, Wendell beat Albemarle County up. And the even more intriguing aspect of this storyline is Wendell is the guy that owns the dirt on High Street. And in the last Charlottesville City Democratic Forum, hosted by Charlottesville Democrats, the Shaw Cooper, Natalie Oshren, Lloyd Snook, and Michael Payne 
the four candidates for three Democratic primary seats, all four of them said on the record into a microphone, we need to buy this dirt from Wendell. We can't let this apartment complex in a floodplain happen behind, across the street from Riverside. Could Wendell Wood get somewhere between $75 million and $100 million from Albemarle County and Charlottesville City combined in one calendar year? That would be insane. Yeah. If Wendell Wood gets $58 million from Albemarle and another 42, whatever the land is for Albemarle, you know he's going to rake them over the coals on High Street. Because mm-hmm. he's going to say, I can do this by right. Screw you. Take me to court. Right. Sue me. Who's going to sue that man? Could Wendell Wood get a $75 million to $100 million payday from Almore and Charlottesville City taxpayers? Very could. Very well could. Very well could. God, Wendell, you know how to negotiate, dude. That's legit. Yeah, the St. Louis situation is legit. Bill McChesney, the mayor of McIntyre, the person who did the presentation to the Board of Supervisors said St. Louis is haunting them closely. Wants to spy station badly and give them 100 free acres. All right. Two other topics. Three other topics, quickly. And you jump at any time you want. There's a Pedal Pub franchise coming to Richmond. Two lifelong... Do you have any uh, artwork we can show of this? Yeah, I've got a photo. You're going to put it on screen? Yep. Here we go. The Pedal Pub. Pedal Pub coming to Richmond. Guys, someone do this to Charlottesville. The first person who brings a Pedal Pub to Charlottesville is going to crush it. Just do a brewery tour Pedal Pub. This is what the Pedal Pub franchise is doing in Richmond. They're not only doing this for booze. They're doing this for... Cider, cocktails, wine, restaurant, and exercise. Someone open a pedal pub franchise in Charlottesville and just have the pedal pub go to the breweries, one go to the restaurants, and another pedal pub go for either tours or exercise. This would crush it in this town. Mm, I, I'm telling you, this would crush it in this town. It'd be a little rough. Peddling that around some of these streets, don't it's you assisted. Think? It's motorized. Well, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about tough to pedal. I'm talking about uh, the drivers around here. What do you mean? Oh, you're saying, you're saying the drivers around here would. I'm saying, would you be a little? I mean, would you be a little bit worried riding around on the Charlottesville streets and something like that? No. Okay. Why would I be worried about that? Have you heard people talk about what it's like riding bikes in Charlottesville? I'm not um, saying it wouldn't work. I'm just uh, I mean, you would do it. Saying their concerns. You would ride it. We would enjoy it. My my wife would love it. Did you put the picture back on screen? They got a tap on that thing. They what is it? Oh. Are you sure about that? Yeah. There's a tap on there. Okay. That's dope. That would crush. Three pedal pubs, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, would be rented all day. They would be rented all day. 
I mean, heck, Andre Xavier and John Craig could roll this out as a division of hop-on tours. They already got the infrastructure in place, Andre Xavier and John Craig, to do this. They got the back-end infrastructure for managing the various routes on their hop-on tour buses. Hmm. They could just utilize the infrastructure and roll in a pedal pup transportation offering as well. All right, two more topics. Dave Norris is hosting a music festival to win a delegate race. I thought this was pretty creative. Um, The LeBron James of politics, um, our friend Dave Norris. I thought this was pretty creative, dude. Um, Look at this lineup, Judah. Are you ready for this? So first, let me give you the nitty-gritty. It's called the Primary Voice Music Festival. It's at the Jefferson Theater on June 10th. It's promoting the Virginia Democratic primary, but it's hosted by Dave Norris and Shelby Edwards. The house band is Kendall Street Company. Kendall Street Company is awesome. Um, you got some heavy hitters here like Sally Rose, Travis Elliott, Tucker Rogers, John Kelly, Jamie Dyer, Chris Kelly, Matt Horn, Josh Mayo, just to name a few. So winning delegate races and politics races in 2023, this is the most creative strategy I've ever seen. Host a music festival. It's brilliant. Yeah. It is brilliant. He hosts a music festival and has a bunch of local bands, good things to drink, and goes around and shakes people's hands. It's brilliant. Smart move, Dave Norris. Last topic today is the impact of the Ting Pavilion. I still don't understand why we don't have more shows at the Pavilion. In 2022, a $12.5 million impact from the Ting Pavilion, Judah. $375,000 in tax revenue generated from the Ting Pavilion. I would love to see more shows at the Ting Pavilion. Kirby Hutto retiring, the general manager of the Pavilion, a new GM in place. I think most of the businesses downtown would love to see more acts at the Ting Pavilion. No doubt. 2022, $12.5 million impact, $375,000 in tax revenue from the Tink Pavilion. Bravo, kudos, and props. That's serious. All right, let's get to comments. Um, Christoph, watching the program. Jerry, you and Judah legitimately are my wife and I's news source. She watches at work. And I'm watching here at home where I work remotely. I understand the concept of news being the foundation from the show, but when it comes to businesses, especially real estate and what's for sale, you are driving the market and beating the other outlets to the news. Thank you for doing a good job and keep up the great work. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was nice. Vanessa Parkhill, hello. Welcome to the show in Earliesville. I don't want it to go away. I want it to be strong. I think Sean Tubbs has an opportunity. Yeah. If the progress continues to be eviscerated. Mm-hmm. Sean's problem is scale. And he's, funding. He's one man. <clears throat> yeah. Sean also is a tremendous journalist. Sean is a tremendous journalist. Mm-hmm. A tremendous journalist. I think he's learning the business, though. Doing something like he's doing is as much about creating the content as it is the business as well. And that's what's... You kind of see 
on that side that his model's tied to subscriptions. Yeah. Not ad revenue. And I'm very concerned that models tied to subscriptions and recessionary times are going to be ravaged. Mm. Ravaged. Especially with the content that he's creating, which I love. I love that content. But we know it's very sophisticated, nuanced, and technical content. Mm-hmm. He's not doing human interest stories. Right. All right. Anything you want to throw out there? We should let them know about the dentist office we're renovating. I'm renovating a dentist office in the Macklin building. My uh, tenant retired after 40 years in business. I think it was 40. Um, and we're converting the dentist office. We're remodeling the dentist office into six executive office spaces. I cover the cost of ting, fiber, internet, cleaning the bathrooms, the electric bill, and the water. Six twenty-five per office. You won't find a better deal than that in downtown Charlottesville, especially next to a parking garage and especially with fiber internet at your disposal. There are six of them, and they'll be ready June 10th. First come, first serve, one-year lease, security deposit equivalent to first month's rent, 625 um, That's all she wrote. There's a, there's a Spirits Expo coming to Charlottesville. The Virginia Spirits Expo to X Park. Yeah. He tried to do some business with us. This was the extent of what he tried to do. Hey, I would love if you told everyone about our event at Ix Park on I Love Seville. Well, that's what we do for a living. Would you like me to say in, send you a rate card and let you know the price points? Well, it's one of the first ones. You can't really pay for exposure or promotion. Well, now we've told them. And there's also a pie festival coming to Charlottesville. There's a pie festival. Yeah. I like pie. I like Who meringue. Doesn't? I like key lime. Yeah. Who doesn't? Love key lime. Tomorrow we'll talk about Neil Williamson's Free Enterprise Forum report about retail sa- uh, retail tax revenue, uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. If there's one thing that concerns me about this report, is the Charlottesville revenue. Here's his paragraph, Neil Williamson. Are you ready for this? After being the second fastest locality for rate of sales tax growth in Q1 of 2022 a growth rate of 15.85%. The city of Charlottesville in Q1 of 2023 had the lowest sales tax growth rate, 0.65%, and the lowest amount of additional sales tax collected, 22,039, compared to any jurisdiction year over year. Neil says this, this may be a statistical anomaly, but it is worth of, it's worthy of additional study as the balance of 2023 unfolds. He's pointing out that people aren't coming to Charlottesville City to spend money. At least they didn't do it in Q1 of 2023. Hmm. You know what you could attribute that to? Go ahead. Violence? Right? Sure. City hall turmoil? Political divisiveness? Yeah. Because this is the uh, eye of the storm. The city. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that tomorrow. Thank you guys for joining us on the Wednesday edition of the I Love Seville show. For J-Dubs, I'm Jerry. So long, everybody.